0: Turn, please, back to 1 Corinthians chapter three. If you're not already there, I'm just going to read the two verses that we're going to be looking at this morning, verses 10 and 11. We have come all the way down uh, through verse nine last month, and this morning we're going to be looking at a call to conscientious church construction. This does not have to do with the renovation of the building. It doesn't have to do, as the pastor said this morning, with sheetrock, with lighting. Uh, Important as those things may be for our comfort in the worship of God, but what we're talking about is the reformation of the church, the construction of the church, the preservation of the church in all of her life and ministry, and so... Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he, he, he's, he's making the point, I'll say this up front, he's making the point that no past good ministry can guarantee the future prosperity of the church. It's what we do with what we have been given that God will use for the future of the church and so this is what paul says notice him in, in in verse 10 i'm reading from the new american standard bible according to the grace of god which was given to me like a wise master builder i laid a foundation and another is building on it but each man must be careful how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is our text for this morning. Let's, let's bow in prayer once more and ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we thank you for the things that we have just sung. That you are our hope. That it is your grace alone which can preserve us and preserve your work. And you love your people, and you love your church, and you love your son, and you love your glory. And we love your glory. And we pray that you would be pleased to bless the word of God as it goes forth this morning. Give us understanding, our Father. Grant that the minds of all your people may be able to perceive what the word of God is saying. And for those, Lord, whose eyes are blind, please do open them. Show yourself a God of omnipotent grace this day and the salvation of those who are blind and deaf, open their hearts, break their stony hearts, and bring life. We ask through Jesus, the life giver. Amen. Amen. Well, last month in our exposition of this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9, we saw how Paul uses one of the Bible's major word pictures to address the problem of divisions in the church. That's what's been going on in Corinth. And Paul spent a lot of time dealing with the subject of divisions and the dangers that they pose to the church. He seeks to correct the thinking of the members of the church by comparing the work of their leaders to the work of tenant farmers. Uh, Paul uses that language, right? You're God's field, and who are we? We're servants. We're servants of God, and one plants, as that implanted word we heard about earlier— one plants another waters, God gives the increase. So, Paul is referring to himself and Apollos and even the other uh, workers that he mentioned there uh, Cephas. He compares them to the work of tenant farmers. Farming, being that uh, Palestine was such an agricultural place, uh, farming is a major figure of the Bible. But perhaps even more prominent is the work of The building and what what the uh, apostles, what the writers of scripture uh, understood was that God uses the metaphor of building to speak about the work of the kingdom. And uh, it was one of the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament uh, used in several places to picture the work of the church, Uh, the the, church. You have that in uh, Psalm 118, verse 22, which Jesus himself quotes and which comes up again and again. It's being uh, alluded to here, right? The the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Peter appeals to that text, uh, Psalm 118, 22. Our Lord alludes to it and enhances it. Remember when the, uh, when the Pharisees and the scribes were... Uh, contesting with Jesus. Jesus asked them this question, didn't you read, don't you know, that the stone which the builders rejected became the very cornerstone? Well, here, now, Paul, he turns from the field, primarily, the metaphor of the field, to the metaphor of the building. He uh, he uses this analogy uh, as well, and the passage that we have read, read is meant to sensitize the minds of the Corinthian Christians and us to the seriousness of church work. Church work, building the church, preserving the church, is not a casual thing. It's not something done easily and lightly, but it is an arduous task and a difficult task and a painful task. What God was doing for the Corinthians, through the writing of Paul, was to heighten the sense of this uh, this this serious work. There was a temptation to view church work in a shallow way. And all you had to do is think through the letter to 1 Corinthians, that first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and, and you realize that the people did not have a serious attitude towards the work of the church towards the work of the kingdom. Many things in the letter indicate that the Corinthians were careless. And it was not just the divisions. The divisions showed that the people were not careful. that They did not have a serious attitude. But you can look around at the letter. I'll give you one more example, and that is the Lord's Supper. It's very interesting that God... Use the divisions in the Church of Corinth to give us the, the best passage on the significance and the implementation of the Lord's Supper that we find in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians. right? Uh, that, that passage which is often read at the Lord's Supper. But what the passage reveals is that the Corinthians were careless and they did not observe the Lord's Supper with due seriousness and reverence. Here now again, the Apostle Paul is taking special aim at the congregation, yes, because they needed to hear all of these things, but also the the leaders of the congregation, the leaders of the church. Open divisions among the Corinthians were a reflection on their leadership. We mustn't draw the wrong conclusion because... While we're we're going to hear a bit about leadership this morning, this is important to every single one of the people of God, all of the members of the church. It's it, Paul. Paul does this. He he speaks to all of the people of the church, and in, in the language of verses ten and eleven. In fact, in the whole section about the leadership. So. While we we see that in the text, I want you to remember, dear brethren, this involves you. This involves you. It It was that warning of Samuel to the people of Israel. When they realized that they were sinning, and they said, well, pray for us. Samuel told them, if you don't do what's right, both you and your king will be swept away. And you see how important leadership in the church is and how, how important it is for the people of God to regard their leaders properly and to own their own place in the, un- in the union and the orthodoxy and the practice of the people of God. So, he's had something to say to every one of us. Now, Paul addresses this issue now that we're going to look at this morning, this conscientious church construction. He does it in three parts. He has a general exhortation about the work of building the church in verses 10 and 11.
1: and he has a more specific warning
0: about the judgment of such a work in verses 12 to 15, which we have read in our our reading this morning, and the final warning about the judgment of those who would destroy the church in verses 16 and 17. So that's the structure of that section. We're just taking a little bite-sized piece, verses 10 and 11, a general exhortation about the work of building the church. And again, it's not physical so much as it is spiritual. And I have three points. First of all, Paul's foundational observations. Paul makes two uh, foundational observations, and I put in parentheses, pun intended. He's talking about the foundation of the church, the foundational observations. This is the the, uh, observation he wants them to understand that underlies his directions, which he's giving them. Foundational observations, first of all, in verse 10a. Secondly, the heart of his exhortation at the end of verse 10. And finally, in verse 11, a compelling restriction. That's the way the passage breaks down. So first of all, we'll look at Paul's foundational observations in verse 10a. Let me read it once again. According to the grace of God which is given to me, like a wise master builder... I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. That's, that's uh, Paul's foundational observations. Paul starts with his instrumentality in founding the church, his early work in the church. And it's interesting, Paul loves to do this for the Corinthians. He loves to remind them, I suppose, if you have um, an anniversary service, where you'll say, okay, this is when the church was built, uh, the, the started, and these are the important uh, things that happened along the way. Uh, you would enjoy, I hope you would, you would enjoy thinking about the great works of God and the kindness he has shown in seeing this work established and preserving this work and improving this work. Well, this is what Paul likes to do. He All the way back in chapter 1, verse 14 and following, he talks about that early period. He talks about it in, in a rather humbling uh, reminder that he, when he came, he couldn't speak to them as to mature people, but as to babes in Christ. And now in chapter 3 again, Paul comes one more time to speak about the, uh, the early uh, days of the ministry. You see that in chapter three, verse one and two, and I brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able you are not yet able to receive it, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. And so you see how what Paul does is he goes back to he goes back to their past and their situation. He speaks now of, with wonderful balance about his part in the establishment of the church. And this is very valuable. Paul is speaking about his part in the establishment of the church. Because, in one sense, it was an unrepeatable and glorious beginning that the church in Corinth had. He asserts his part. He asserts his appointed strategic part, his excellent work in bringing the church to birth. It's interesting that Paul does not neglect his part, he does not speak with mock humility. You know, sometimes people do that and they. uh, I remember a lady I was talking with and she was talking about someone who was fishing for compliments. Sometimes people do that. They say, well, you know, I I didn't really do that much. Uh, I was God's instrument and it was poor work. And what what are they doing? They're fishing for compliments. Oh, no, you were instrumental. God worked mightily for you. People love to say those kinds of things, right? Paul does not speak in mock humility. He describes himself openly as to his role. He says, as a wise master builder. Actually, the word is architecton, architecton. So where we get our word architect from. That's what Paul describes himself. I was the master builder, the architect. He was not, he was not a mere designer. He was not a draftsman. He was not a supervisor. He was actively engaged in establishing the church. He did his part with wisdom and excellence. That's important for the people of God to remember. Then not to look back and say, well, Paul did some things and it was not that great. and We've had to do a lot more. No, Paul goes back and says, remember. Paul does that with the Galatians also. uh, In one of those striking texts when he says, Where is the sense of blessing that you had? This is what Paul's doing with the Corinthians. He says, you need to remember what we had. Uh, There's a a proverb that the uh, the cow didn't really like her tail until she lost it. Then she realized what a valuable piece that was, right? Because it swats, flies, etc. And if the people of God don't look back and see the mighty works of God done among them, And they won't value it. And they won't value the the work that was done by Paul in the beginning. And Paul's telling them, I was no amateur, no neophyte. I remember my dear Pastor Martin. Every once in a while, we'd have some smart adults come into the church and thought they knew a lot. And Pastor Martin, some people might not like it, but I like it. I thought it was wise. He said, Look, I was reading the Bible before you were born. That's the truth, brethren. That man, that man was a master builder, and Paul is telling this to the people of God. I'm no amateur. I'm no neophyte. He worked with intelligent purpose and success, and his work was primarily the most important part of the work. What's Paul saying? I laid the foundation. Paul unashamedly states his special role. He established the church at its inception and he presents his accomplishments without embarrassment. That's what Paul does. That's his first observation. The balance, of course, of what Paul is saying is seen in the opening words of the text. According to the grace of God given to me. Paul frequently speaks of God's grace whenever he recalls how God used him. Whenever he thinks of his office, his duty, his accomplishment, he thinks of appointment and grace given by God. By the grace of God, Paul says to the Corinthians later in chapter 15, I am what I am, and I labored more than them all. You see, humility doesn't mean you deny who you are and what you do. It's giving the credit to the one to whom credit is due, it's God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, Paul says, I was a wise master builder. He furnished me with the gift. He gave me the opportunity. He helped me in the task. Here also, his official role is the result of God's grace. His ability is the result of God's grace. His success is the result of God's grace. That's his first observation. His first observation has to do with his instrumentality in starting the church. The second observation, still in point number one in my sermon here, his second observation is this. Others are now directly involved in the work. Others are now involved in the work. In fact, he uses a singular. uh, Alos. Another. Um, There are different ways... um, to understand this uh, word another there are three possible ways to interpret it it could refer to a single individual in fact in this section paul uses singulars each one let like each one that's a singular and when he's talking about the other one doing the work he's using singulars it could refer to a single individual perhaps there was only one elder at corinth that would be unusual in new testament times that was that was not the way it, It was done in New Testament times, but it could be. Or the words may refer collectively for all the elders. Uh, Another being a singular could be a collective singular. Or it could, the third way, is that it meant to speak about one man who was the leader, the leader of uh, the elders in the church. Uh, There sometimes... You have multiple elders, like we have at Trinity, and there's one man who is more gifted than all the rest, and that is what is known as chief among equals. All the elders are equal, but there's one man who is especially gifted for leadership, and even among the elders, he is chief among equals. So that's the way when Paul says another is building upon it. It could, it could be interpreted any one of these three ways. And I'm not worried about ironing that out. I just said it before your minds. Most of the commentators I've read uh, explain their view as a group of elders. Paul says someone else. I started and now my foundation is being built on. Some of the rooms are being furnished new stories are being added. Because you know how it is with foundation building. You build a foundation, and it's a unique kind of a work, and then there are other there is more work being done above the first ground level. That seems to be what Paul's saying. Now, looking at the life of the church at Corinth, we can glean that the leadership is either very weak or very confused about church life. It certainly seems that the leader of such a church could not escape rebuke for the disarray of the church. I think that's part of what Paul is dealing, dealing with here. He would like the leaders of the church at Corinth to understand, well, what have what we got here? We've got division. We've got schism. We've got danger, the danger of the foundation being eroded. So these are Paul's uh, foundational observations in 10a. But then in the second place, we have the heart of Paul's exhortation, which is very simple and brief. They are to approach their task conscientiously and not casually. Uh, if you look back in the text there with me, and see how Paul writes it. He says in verse 10, because we're still there, starting with the Little last phrase. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. Each one must be careful how he builds on it. The, the actual word is the verb see. And, and uh, very interesting in the, in the Greek. Pastor will be able to see that verb uh, lepo. To see, I see. Paul oh, used that word. What it means is, pay attention to what you're doing. We use this word in commands, calling for careful attention to our duties. We say, "Watch what you're doing. See what you're doing." Sometimes, when I have a, a task, and uh, and June is helping me, at least supervising me, she say, "You see what you're doing." That's because evidently she thinks I may not see what I'm doing, and sometimes she's right. what you say? You say, pay attention to it. We say, see to your work. That's what Paul's saying. This is how Paul uses this word it is a note of urgent, coffin, uh, urgent caution. Often Paul uses it, he uses this word, see, to to, meet, to say, beware. I'll give you one example. If you just look a little bit further at 1 Corinthians 8-9. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I'll read my New American Standard. I think um, it won't be much different from your King James verse 9. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That word take care, that's the word see. He literally just says, see, that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. So there's that use, and you'll find it other places in chapter 10, verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands, take heed, see, lest he fall. Ephesians 5.15, another example. But uh, that's, that's, that's the point. Paul's using that word, see, pay attention. That to do this work with due concern. They're not interested in slapping a shack together. You know, it comes to my mind, when I visited Pastor Semarath in Trinidad, and Pastor Semarath took me around. And you know what it's like in the third world country. Some of you lived in countries like this, where some guy evidently got a hold of a couple of pieces of wood and nailed them together in a very rough way. You wondered how, how those things are gonna stand up when the wind starts blowing. Uh, they slap its shack together. They put a, they put a cable antenna on there and they have a nice car in the front, but they have a shack. And it, you wonder, how, how in the world do you live there when it starts raining, probably water's pouring in all over the place and they have to put out buckets. That's not church work. It must not be church work. These people are to build something which are going to withstand the onslaughts of hell itself. We prayed, we prayed. This morning that Satan would not be allowed here. That's a good prayer. I'm new for you. Every time the Word is preached, Satan is there. That's what Jesus says. He sows he the Word and the birds come and take it up and Jesus interprets it. Every time the Word of God is preached, Satan is there trying to snatch the Word from your hearts. We, we have to build in such a way that will withstand the slots, the onslaughts, and the schemes of Satan. And Paul's well aware of this. Therefore, this cannot be a secondary work. That's Paul's point. This is not night watchman, a night watchman's job. That can be accomplished while something else gets the best energies of the soul. When I was in the academy studying for the ministry, a number of the men had night watchman jobs and they loved it. Why? Well, you know, at every hour, they had to go around and walk around and look and see that nobody had broken in. they check all the doors and the windows. But the rest of the time, they could spend at the desk. They, the short circuit camera is there, and they, they can read their theology books. They can read Birkhoff and they can read uh, Hodge, and uh, get a lot of reading in. But it's a night watchman's job. You don't You don't worry too much about as long as you make your rounds, you know your night watchman job. This is not night watchman's work. This can't be accomplished while the best energies of the soul are divided. This work requires great attention. Now, it may seem strange that in a section which has to be dealing with division, such an exhortation should be found. But what underlies this exhortation, be careful, let every man be careful how he works. See to it, see the work. But what underlies this exhortation is the fact that the leaders must have been at fault. No such open sin. Can you imagine being in a church where these kinds of open sins happen? I've talked to a lot of people over the years, led a lot of Bible studies. In my Bible studies, I have people coming. we, We had one woman this past Friday night, and she was telling me about the problems that she had with the church that she was a part of. What she didn't realize is that the man who was leading that church was a heretic, and the teaching was heresy. She still, after after an hour talking with her, she still didn't really understand. Imagine, you were in a church where people being told, "Oh, you just have to try to be good enough." Pastor, like Pastor said this morning in the in the uh, meditation hour, you know, just uh, just try to do your best. Those churches are in disarray. Those churches, they they have uh, babysitting services. They have uh, you. You have a special a special place where you can go and um, get get a cup of a coffee, maybe you know a uh, uh, Starbucks kind of style of thing, and you can have your latte and you see your friend and chat a little bit here and there. Nobody's taking the ministry of the Word of God seriously. June and I went to Florida one time looking for a place to worship. We saw it, we saw. Uh, uh, a church near where we were staying and uh, it said they were they, they were a uh, Baptist church. I said, oh, good. We'll get to hear things, see things that we're used to. Mm-hmm. The people were talking to one another while the minister's preaching. I'm saying to myself, they, they, do they want to hear the word of God? They want to chat and have a baby in the, in the second pew and they're passing the baby around while the man is preaching. That church was in disarray. So this is really, what Paul's doing is really rebuking them strongly. The leaders are not named, and no sin is immediately charged to them, but the whole passage forms a powerful criticism and rebuke. And that is Paul's foundational observations. That he was a wise master builder, and that those who are engaged in building now better watch what they're doing. Pay careful attention. Second point this, uh, this morning is the heart of Paul's exhortation. It's simple and brief. Be careful what you're doing. This requires great attention. Third thing, last point, at least at the body, and we come to application. A compelling restriction in verse 11, a compelling restriction. In verse 11, Paul says to these Corinthian Christians, and I have to get back to the right to chapter 3, verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. This is a compelling restriction. There is a danger Paul's hinting at, uh, actually almost saying it outright, He says you can't build, you can't change the foundation of this church. This is an important foundation. This is a unique foundation. This is the only foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And Paul is hinting at this, the danger of another foundation that will replace the one that Paul's put in, in place through lack of conscientious labor. Paul says you can't do it. It's not possible. You don't have the power to do it. Now in large buildings, actually, large buildings, it is impossible to remove foundation and replace it with something without dismantling the building. There was a video online a while back where there was a, a place in Manhattan and they want, they actually jacked up the building and slid something underneath it. It was it was fascinating. It's the only time I've ever seen. I've seen houses moved. And actually, uh, the house that June lived in most of her life, they had problems in the foundation. And and, uh, Mr. Kuchenbecker, he had jacks, and he was able to raise up from the basement up. He was raised up and changed some of the wood. But he couldn't change the whole foundation without dismantling the church. However, let me tell you, my friend, in actual church work, it can be done. Slowly, over the years, by teaching and leadership, a church may drift away and become something it was never meant to be. The history of the church shows that it has happened. There are whole denominations where people profess good doctrine and over time some clever, clever personable man who smiles a lot and tells all the people nice thing, and while they are saying, oh, how much he loves us, what a nice man he is, he is eroding the foundation, destroying the foundation, putting in a different foundation. And actually, in Reformation, when you're reforming your church, and we talk about that here, It is often necessary to replace many parts of a poor foundation. It was not. Absolutely impossible. There was this very danger to be avoided. That's what Paul says. Watch what you're doing. Because I laid the right foundation. And now you can't just sweep it aside. Perish the thought. Can't be done. You can't sustain the structure. You see, the foundation of Jesus Christ is the kind of foundation that is built for eternity. It is built for the duration of the church. The the integrity and glory of Jesus Christ depends upon the right foundation of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. They'll try. The foundation cannot cannot be destroyed without serious consequences. You won't be able. You wouldn't be able to uh, attain the same goals, the salvation of sinners. How are sinners going to be saved unless Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church? You're going to be saying other things. You're going to be saying that people can work their way to heaven. You can say that people don't need to be members of the church. That was one of the things this lady had said to me. She said to me, uh, "You know, I'm a member of the Universal Church." Yeah, I. I When I talk to her next time, I'm going to ask her, how do you know that you're a member of the universal church? Who made you a member of the universal church? When did that happen? There's no such thing. But the woman is building on the wrong foundation. The gospel, the gospel best goes forth. It can only go forth when Jesus Christ is the foundation. The edification of the church, the the edification of the members, the preservation, the maturing of the members, all depend upon the foundation and the glory of God, is accomplished by the right foundation. So they cannot build upon a different foundation, so they have to be careful. Paul, in this statement, I, I believe, is assuming the general sincerity of the leaders, Pastors are busy people. It's, it's a little joke. I have probably mentioned it before. People think that pastors only work one hour a week. and they get mad when they work an hour and 15 minutes. You see. But pastors are busy people. Sermon preparation is not the work of a couple moments. I was at a barber one time. I was preaching the next day. And he asked me, I, I, I often get asked this question. I don't know why, providentially, God brings the question. Oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, I'm, going, I'm going to preach. And he said, oh, that should be easy. You just go and sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and then you can get your sermon. No, no. On. One of these days, maybe I'll bring some of my homework. Here's what I do. So I take every word of the Greek text every word. And I determine its case, gender, number, its mood. When there are words I'm not sure I understand the word properly, like the word say, I do I do word study. That's not the work of 15 minutes That's hard work. My wife knows very well. If I if I get a chance during the week to do some some spade work, we call it very well but you knows that saturday is d-day <laughs> saturday is the day it's got to get done it's it's not it's not easy work and then a, a real pastor of course is praying for his people praying diligently not a, not a brief prayer please help up. serious Serious prayer, foreseeing the dangers, praying for the progress of the ministry, praying for the progress of the gospel. It's a lot of work. And then there's the visiting and concern of the people, talking to the people about their real needs. It's not easy work. So, Paul understands... But there's some carelessness. And that's serious, you know. <clears throat> Again, the foundation is, to, is not a piece of rock. It is a person. It's Jesus Christ. The foundation involves true doctrine. Jesus says, Peter and the apostles, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Easy to say, but it is orthodoxy. It is the truth about Jesus Christ, which is at the foundation of everything the church does. Paul tells us that the foundation, Ephesians 2.20, is Jesus Christ. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And so, these are Paul's foundational observations about his ministry. I laid the foundation; another is building upon it, and the need for care. And then the compelling restriction, there's only one foundation, that's Jesus Christ, and it cannot be replaced. It needs to be maintained. So now, I've given you my explanation of the text, now we come to application. Here's where uh, that whole matter of being doers of the word and not merely, merely hearers only comes into play. Of course, Paul's already exhorted the people of God, and the leaders, watch what you're doing. Watch what you're doing. People, brethren, people oftentimes live their lives. uh, One of my pastors had this little expression, flying by the seat of their pants. You know what that means? It's it's the image of of a pilot. He's got a plane in front of him. He's not looking at the instruments. He is... Feeling his way along. That's not how the ministry is conducted. And as you, brethren, are concerned in this, you need to understand the issues at heart. How you can pray and how you can support your pastor in the right work of the church. We must all, my first application, we must all beware of the errors of the builders. We all have an obligation to see that the work of the Lord is done with care. It's an interesting text, one of the Pauline epistles where Paul tells the, I think it's in Philippians, where Paul tells the people, say to Archippus to fulfill his ministry. That's addressed to the whole church. Evidently, Archippus needed some exhortation some encouragement. Perhaps his hands were hanging down. And they would tell him, look, fulfill your ministry. Let's put you here. Do do it. Do it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be slack. Sometimes your pastor will need encouragement. He'll need help. Make sure he has it. Don't let the man think that he's laboring alone. The mandate for carefulness in building the church is vital for all true churches and all true men of God and all true Christians who love the Lord. What are the errors that we should be on the lookout for? What are the errors that we should be on the lookout for? Well, they are a legion, brethren. I'm just going to give you several. One of them that's been on my heart that didn't get into my notes, something that I've been dealing with with some brethren, people who make excuses why they can't do the things Christians, what to do? Well, I was abused when I was young. I was abused when I was young. Sure. If I let my past problems, the, the mistreatment of my absent father, I would be basket case. Don't make excuses. Why you can't be a good Christian? Why you can't do the things God says? That's the that's the mental illness mania of our day. Oh, you don't know. Oh, I've had so many problems. You know what the, coach, the football team coach would say. Suck it up. Stop making excuses. Stop being a baby. Paul said to the Corinthians, quit ye like men, be strong. Christians have no business being weak. Feeling sorry for themselves. of my favorite quotes from John Owen. I looked at it again recently. John Owen says, we should feel sorry. I want to paraphrase for you. We should feel sorry for people who aren't converted because they spend all their strength and fail. But we should no wise feel sorry for ourselves because we have the unlimited grace of They who wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Christian, you have the limitless resources of the God of heaven. Don't dishonor him by making excuses why you can't do what God calls you to do. That's one application. Second application is the warning of a a clearly different gospel. We've talked about this in the past. Watch out what voices you're listening to. Watch out what examples you're appealing to. Don't, don't be saying, brethren, well, you know, uh, John Smith is a good Christian, and he goes to that church, and they uh, watch the football game after, after worship service. They, uh, there's a lady up in the Boston area uh, I have come into contact with through a mutual friend. She was attending a church where they did—they uh, had a 15-minute sermon. I don't think I've ever been able to preach for just 15 minutes. But that's all the dear lady got. they sang sung a bunch of hymns, they had a 15-minute sermon, and then a bunch of hymns. She's come to realize now, this is not a church that's healthy for my soul. So you might you might find some Christian. Well, I go to this church and we just have a 15 minute service. I'm sorry that you guys have to sit and listen for so long to some god ranting on. <coughs> no, we feel sorry for them because they don't know what they're missing and they have no spiritual health. Watch out for a different gospel. Paul talks about that in Galatians 1 you're well aware. We are faced with many other different gospels the no repentance gospel, that you don't have to repent of your sins. We're studying in our Bible study, 1 John 1, 5 through 9, where the Apostle Apostle John says, basically Christians know how to deal with their sins. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we, we see each other. I have, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus goes on cleansing us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves so and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, say what God says about our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You have no business wallowing in your sins. I'm not saying you're not going to sin. John says, I'm writing things to you that you may not sin. Don't give in to it. Don't let it rule you. Don't let it master you. Confess it. Trust in the blood of Christ to deal with it. There's a no repentance gospel, you know, that you, you don't have to worry about any of your sins. And again, this is one, one lady was telling me. I thought all sins were forgiven. Past, present, and future. Why do I have to confess my sins? Well, you need to. If you don't confess your sins and you don't repent of your sins, they're just going to get an increasing grip upon you. And the time will come when you're like Samson who said, I thought I would go out as at other times. And I had not realized that the Lord had left. Watch out for the no repentance gospel, the evangelical ritual gospel. Walk forward, raise your hand, walk forward, say a prayer and it's done. That's the ritual gospel, the evangelical ritual. Many are deceived and sent to hell. Or a different Christ gospel, or a Christ plus gospel. Well, you need Christ, but then you need this. In addition, because Christ is not enough. These are all ways in which people compromise the gospel. Watch out for a different gospel. Calvin says there are many who, while they make use of Christ's name in pretense, tear up the whole truth of God by the roots. So dear brethren, watch out. Watch what you're doing. Watch what you're listening to. Watch the direction you're working. Don't let the foundation, the good foundation you have, get replaced by these different gospels that are proclaimed today. Another error. By which preachers and pastors may undermine the one truth foundation is a pop gospel a popular religion gospel popular religion fads in gospel uh, colossians chapter 2 verse 8 is one of these examples Here Paul addresses the Colossian Christians. He has to warn them about popular religion, philosophical religion. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. It's pop religion. The principles of the world. You only go around once in life therefore you have to grab all the gusto you can no that's not christianity christianity is i'm headed to the celestial city i'm headed to the presence of god and i'm i'm going to spend my life laboring for god rest comes then now christ gives us rest now but the real rest we're going to get brethren is when God calls us home and we're in his presence and then there'll be no more struggle, then there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin. Till then, brethren, seeing a pop gospel does away with a lot of those problems of the ordinary Christian life. Many go astray here, they get as much of the world as possible in their religion, so they're happy with religion, where they can snap their fingers to the tomb, clap their hands, twist their bodies with the gospel. Is this careful building of the church? No, it is not. And we must not go that way. This kind of success, and again, Don't worry too much about numbers. Now, I know we want the church to be full. We want lots of people to be saved. Very good, very good. But don't equate success with numbers. Don't worry about those people who have multitudes of people in their church and they have big offerings and big budgets. This kind of success, we should call abysmal failure. So we see... Look at the way we're building. Look at what we're doing. Be careful. Watch out for the gospel of license. The gospel of license. Christians, see, that's the problem with people saying, well, I don't need to confess my sins. I don't need to worry. You know, Christ has paid it all. Yet Jesus has paid it all. That's why you and I should live godly lives. Not a gospel of license. Paul could say in this day from Philippians 4, there are many, many who walk this way whose God is their belly. And they're not following the Lord Jesus, not living Godly lives. Watch out for a gospel of license. Watch out for the different claims, the different claims that are made. For a moment with me at First Timothy four one to three. First Timothy four. Here's one example. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as, a, as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Your people... Who make the different claims? There was a man who was very influential in the early church, named Jerome. He he was a he was an ascetic. He believed that the best form of life was to live in perpetual virginity, away from all society, because he, he his view was that in contact with the world, you're going to sin. So you have to get away from the world, get out of the world. But the problem is, Paul says, you don't get out of the world. That's not not the point. But the point is that you put to death your sins. Notice what Paul says in that 1 Timothy 4 passage. In the very next verse, I didn't read verse 6. In pointing out these things. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine which you've been following. That gets my attention. I remember when I first heard this preached on one of the men, Greg Nichols, he's up in uh, Catskill, New York. He said, uh, pay attention to that. And pointing out these things to the breath and you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So, I'm pointing them out. Hope that God will put it on your heart. This is the kind of thing we need to watch out for. These different claims, the well being of the people of God is actually an identifying error. That's one of the ways we're careful how we build. Fifthly, or sixthly, actually, personal advancement leadership. Personal Advancement Leadership. Now, you've heard this. This is the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. It's personal advancement. It's very common. And to some people, it seems to make wonderful sense. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have money. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to have the best job and to be the best version of yourself you can be. Let me tell you something about that best version that you can be. That is nothing other than carnal, personal pride. You don't pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and be the best person you can be. That's deceitful. Paul was aware of this attitude, personal advancement gospel. So he said, we do not preach ourselves do not preach ourselves. We're not in the business of trying to get people to think wonderful things about ourselves. That's not what the ministry is about. Some people, again, the wealth, wealth, health, wealth, prosperity gospel is not new because Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy 6, 5. I'll just quote it for you. Those who think that godliness is a means of gain how do you get ahead you want to be upwardly mobile well this is the way to do it thinking that godliness is a means of gain it's very harmful to the people of god very harmful if you ever get a guy in here and you find out that this man wants to be a pastor here i forget i forget which one of my pastors did it recently in a sermon he was talking about the fact that when he was in another church, uh, people would come in and say, when can I start preaching? When can I preach? Uh, Those are hirelings described in John chapter 10. You don't want personal advancement leadership. John chapter 10, the hireling, what's he like? He sees the wolf coming and he flees. You want kind of pastor, the kind of godly man who will say with Paul we are willing to spend and be spent pastors, godly pastors wear themselves out. It's a bit uncomfortable for their wives. That's what they do because they love their Lord. And they want to be doing the work of God honestly. So pray earnestly to God to protect your church from these kinds of things. The way of God is narrow. The errors which undermine the church are many. Call on God. Call on the Lord. And watch. And you might be here today and you say, Boy, Mr. Duan is just Just raving. With all these things. But it's because there's only one reason. Why you would say these things, We do we need to hear this? Yes, yes, yes. Why? And why don't you think it's so important? Why may you sit here today and say, okay, I, you know what? I would like a little bit more upbeat music. Upbeat, upbeat music doesn't save your soul, my friend. That's not the way it works. Why do you think? that we should be a little bit more laid back, lightened up. Why do you think that way? Because you don't know that you need Jesus Christ in the fullness of his saving work. That's why you think that way. That's why the very things I've said to you today may roll off you like a duck's back. Yeah, that's very nice. He gets excited. And uh, people like emotional preaching. But uh, I'll go home and I'll have a cup of tea and everything will be just fine. I remember one preacher said, who told you to get home? You know. Do you know? Your pastor is concerned about your spiritual state. Because he doesn't know what a day may bring forth. I don't know what a day may bring forth. You don't know what a day may bring forth. And you might not get home. You may not get that hot water boiling the kettle. You may not make it past the front door. And you need a Savior. If the church is not that important, my friend, you need a Savior because that's Christ's church, whom he loves, whom he bled and died for. That's why this is all serious stuff. And My heart's desire and prayer for you is that you You will not despise God's church, and you will not despise your own soul, but you will turn to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I have not cared about your church, and I have not cared about your death, and I have not cared about your glory, just all about me. Forgive my sins, and save me, and help me. Sanctify me that I may be the kind of person who cares about the church and is willing to do what I can do for the good of Jesus Christ and his church. Our Lord, we we can sing that hymn in our hymnal that we have not known you as we ought. We have not learned your wisdom, grace, and power. The things of earth have filled our thoughts and trifles of the passing hour. Lord, give us light, thy truth to see. and Make us wise in knowing thee. We have not loved you as we ought. We have not served you as we ought. O Lord our God, have mercy upon us and forgive us our many, many sins. And please work through the word of God, that implanted word. O God, cause it to bear fruit. Cause it like Aaron's rod to bud in a night and to bear flowers and ripe fruit. Grant our Father that your word may have its due impact upon the souls of your people and give us all. Ears to hear and hearts to obey. Again, we ask your mercies, knowing that our only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life of obedience, his death of of, uh, propitiation, his resurrection to eternity. Uh, Hear us for his name's sake.